0: Thanks for joining us at Summit Church. No matter where you are at on life's journey, you are welcome here. We are excited to share God's Word with you through this week's message. Hey, have you ever faced a challenge in your life and wondered in the midst of that challenge, I'm not sure I really know what to do in this situation. Anybody been there before with me? Raise your hand. I've been there. Maybe some of you have been in a place where you've had a challenge and you didn't even care about how it turned out. You, you're like, I'm out, of, I'm out of energy, I'm exhausted, I, I don't even know if I care enough to even go through the challenge. So what do you do when you've been gut-punched? What do you do when um, you're up against something that uh, seems like it's a pretty big challenge in front of you? Well, I want to I read a scripture this morning. I want to talk about, we're in a series called A Thing or Two. And uh, we, last week we talked about Jehovah Shalom. God is a God of peace, we're just taking for a few weeks the different aspects of the names of God, the covenant redemption names of God, Jehovah Zikenu, Jehovah Shama, Jehovah Rohai, different names of God, and, and every time there's an issue in your life, a challenge in your life, can I give you some good news this morning that God hasn't, He's got a name for it, He's got a name just for your situation, He's got a characteristic, He's got a nature, He's got a provision just for you. When you're in chaos, he's got peace. When you, when you are in a situation, a challenge of your life, a fight for your life, he's got a name for that we're going to talk about this morning. I want you to read with me the book of Exodus, chapter 17, verse 8, this morning. The Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. And Moses said to Joshua, choose some of our men and go out to fight the Amalekites, for tomorrow I'll stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. So Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered, and Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill. And as long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone, put it under him, and He sat on it, and Aaron and Hur held his hands up, one on one side, one on the other, so that his hands remained steady until sunset. And so Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. And then the Lord said to Moses, Write this on a scroll as something to be remembered, and make sure that Joshua hears it, because I will completely blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. So Moses built an altar, get this, He called it, the Lord is my banner. He called it Jehovah Nisi. The Lord is my banner. And he said, for hands were lifted up to the throne of the Lord. So let me give you a little context of this little passage this morning. Israel had the Hebrew children had been in bondage for over 400 years. They've been in Egypt and now God had called them out through the works of mighty plagues and signs and wonders and miraculous demonstrations of God's power. They made it through the Red Sea on dry ground. God totally vanquished for the Israelites, the army of Egypt that had been pursuing them through and to the Red Sea. Now they're five weeks into their journey, five weeks into a very desolate, dry wilderness land, five weeks into this journey, and so far things have been different, but okay not what you would particularly think of a journey in a wilderness. They had complained to Moses and said we were hungry, and so God met their needs and provided manna, bread, fell from heaven every day. Uh, Every morning when they woke up, they had meat, or excuse me, bread to eat, and they complained that they didn't have anything to drink, and obviously being in the desert, that's important, and so God provided a rock, and out of that rock came water, and And he also had given them now a pillar of fire that was escorting them through the wilderness that would remain with them for the next 40 years, as well as the manna and the water. The pillar providing light at night and warmth for the Israelite campment. And then God also has provided a cloud over their heads during the day to keep them from getting sun scorched and weary and worn out and provide a little shade and cool for their journey in the wilderness. And so this is the God and this is how he's providing for them. And now we're five weeks into the journey. They come to a place called Rephidim. Rephidim means a resting place. Aren't you glad for resting places? Just when you're at that resting place and you think everything's fine and you got a little breather and, and the kids are good, you know, and the job's good and your spouse is doing what you tell them to do. Come on. <laughs> Amen. And, and, and think your health is good. And just when you, Just when you're just about ready to take a deep breath and just enjoy life for a little bit, well, you look up and here comes the Amalekites. Just coming up over the horizon, marching your way have their swords in their hand, their shields in their arms, and helmets all in place, and they're coming at you. Well, this is the story that we find in the situation we find the Israelites in. An Amalekite, or Amalek, is an interesting word. It actually means, um, uh, I'll, I'll tell you that in a minute, but I'm getting ahead of myself. But the, the good news is that in the midst of your, in the midst of your resting place, and when the enemy may come in and disrupt your rest, the good news is that God is can come and will come and fight your battles for you. So Amalek means a dweller of the valley. So the dweller of the valley comes up over the horizon making a warfare on this people called Israel. Israel had now kind of cramped their style and was crowding in on them and so this is now the first nation to attack Israel out of Egypt. These people had been slaves for 400 years. They were not trained in hand-to-hand combat. They didn't know the tactical necessities and strategies of warfare. They they were a slave people. They, they knew nothing about what was about to happen. And, and obviously you would be very concerned if it were to happen to you and and they're like, what are we going to do? Oh, we don't, they, they don't even have weapons, really. I mean, Joshua has a sword, but he's probably one of the few people that have any kind of weapons that maybe washed ashore from the Egyptian army. And All they have is probably rocks, some sticks, some clubs, maybe. And, and, and here comes the, this army over the horizon, the valley dwellers. How many here have had a, has had a, a few valley dwellers in your lifetime? Come on. You know what I'm talking about? The valley dwellers, where, where everything's negative, everything's wrong, everything's coming to an end, the world's falling apart. You walk up to them, and you go, hey, man, a beautiful day, the sun's shine is out, the rain's gone, and they go, yeah, but it's, it's a storm coming tomorrow. Hey, man, how's it going, man? I tell you what, went to the gym, got a great workout, feeling good today. I'm feeling really, really on top of my game. How's it going for you? Uh, uh, You better be careful because there's a virus right around the corner. I mean, everybody's got something negative, even as positive as you can try to be, they got something negative to say. I'm talking about an Amalek, or Amalekite, a, a valley dweller, a, a negative person, a person always looking on the wrong side. That's one of the reasons why we named this church Summit Church, because we, we're we not valley dwelling people. We're not negative looking people. We're, we're faith-filled people. We're climbing to the top, if you would, getting a glimpse of what God sees from his point of View or his perspective, getting a heavenly dimension, a heart, getting the heart and the mind of God, and not being a people that look at things in the natural and believe that that's the way it's going to be, but a people that can get God's perspective. Come on, how many summit people we got here in the house this morning? Come on, wanting to climb the mountain, get God's perspective for a thing or two. Amen. And so now it's God's, God brings this. I really believe God allows the Amalek army to come. In order to do what? To teach Israel how to fight. Hello, this is going to be the first battle of many, many battles to come. Can I just say, you may have made it barely through the battle you've just gone through by the skin of your teeth. But here's the good news. I know you're glad you came this morning, but there's lots more battles to come. Oh, in every battle, God gets the victory. In every battle, God's name gets lifted up and he gets glorified. And, and you become even more confident in God's goodness and provision for your life. And so, this story really is if you wouldn't mind me saying this, it's really a, a picture or a story of spiritual warfare. What is spiritual warfare? It's fighting battles in the spirit. Because just because you see things or get a diagnosis or get a, uh, a pink slip from your boss or what, even though things look one way in the natural, I mean know there's a whole nother perspective called a heavenly or a godly perspective that's available to us as well, right? And so in order to, I mean, in order to get a fulfillment or to walk into that purpose, sometimes it involves, it involves warfare sometimes you've got to go through a battle or two and you've got to fight some things that you can't even see but are very real. Sometimes you're talking to a person and you think you're talking to Joe, but you're actually God I, I don't hate to I know this sounds weird, but you're actually talking to something from another dimension, a spiritual dimension that's almost demonic. I know, see, some of you may not believe in that kind of stuff, which is fine until you talk to one you know come says. <laughs> Till, someone, till they rip your clothes off like the seven sons of Sceva and you go running down the, around down the road. What in the world was that? I, I, I want to tell you, these little passages in the Bible, in the Old Testament, are really pictures for us of lessons that we learn in the Spirit. It's a natural story, but it has a spiritual a significance. In fact, it says in 1 Corinthians 10, all these things happened to them, the Israelites and the other prophets and people, as examples. They're written down as admonition upon whom the ends of the world are to come. So what we see is we can learn spiritual things from the stories that we read in the natural. It's more than just history. It's a spiritual story taking place. So let's talk about spiritual warfare 101. Number one, how 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 what is this lesson we learn here about spiritual warfare? Now, a few people put some bets on that I wouldn't get all the points done by the time we had to get had this morning. But number we we did it this morning, and uh, they lost their bets. Come on, I know you're not. I don't know how much they lost, but they lost their money or whatever they bet. Number one, lessons of spiritual warfare, God fights my battles. So here we see Moses and Joshua have a little conversation. Joshua is Moses' right hand man, and Moses comes to Joshua and goes, Hey, buddy, listen, I got a job for you today. What's that? You see those thousands of people coming up over the hill there? I want you to go fight them. Uh, and, and Joshua says, "But, but, perhaps he said this. But with what do I fight him with? Uh, we'll you'll figure it out. Just figure it out." And, and so I'm going to go up on the hill and uh, watch. Just figure it out. And so Joshua leads with courage the men into battle against these Midian or Amalekites. And what we see here is a picture. Why do you see a picture? What's the picture? The word Joshua is the Hebrew word for Jesus in the Greek. If you took Jesus and, and, and interpreted Jesus, the word Jesus in the Hebrew, it's the word Joshua. So say it like this. Basically, you have Jesus, a picture of Jesus, doing warfare with a bunch of valley dwellers. While Moses, you, are up on the mountaintop Doing what? Making intercession unto the Lord. You're up on the mountain uh, making, talking, and, and we'll get in, more into that in just a minute. But but Joshua's down in the middle of the mess. Jesus, if you would, is down in the middle of the stuff, determined to take out these valley dwellers. And yet in this early times, we're seeing that Moses is learning how to do... See, in Moses's early life, he Somebody came against him, he'd just like knock him out. You know what I'm saying? This is why he got kicked out of Egypt to begin with. He took matters into his own hands. But now Moses is learning something, that he doesn't have to fight his own battles, that he can go to a mountaintop, come on, and he can make intercession and let God fight his battles for him. Come on, see, we see the maturity of this man Moses taking place. Number two, spiritual lessons 101 of warfare, my prayers release God's power into the earth. Your prayers is what releases the power of God. Sometimes you may not be seeing a manifestation of power coming forth. It might be because you're not praying for that to happen. See, here we see the fate of Israel was dependent upon Moses' intercession. Can you imagine that? The entire nation is dependent on this man interceding for them. We see this by the fact that Moses has his hands lifted up into into the heavens. What is? Why did God say that? Why why didn't God say, "I want you to go up on top of the mountain and and, uh, and jump rope"? <laughs> I want you to go up on top of the mountain and, and skip around a little bit. what, what is this about? This is a, a point of a posture of saying, "God, I am without. I am in need. God, I surrender. God, if you don't do something, we can We have. God, I look to you for everything." I mean, God loves the people that do that. They, this is why some you will see some if you're visiting with us some lifting their hands before the Lord. Why? Because it's a it's a posture saying with our bodies, Lord God, I look to you. You are everything. I surrender everything to you. God responds and let me tell you something. We got I got to work out this I got to work this little story. But my we, our little granddaughter, one year old now, one year old in two months weeks or whatever it is, and. Uh, And she'll crawl over to you, or now she's kind of walking, and she'll walk over to you and just kind of unsteady. And she'll walk right up to me, put her hands on my legs, and just kind of look up. I'm telling you what, my heart melts. (laughs) And I pick her up, and I carry her around as long as I can. I love that. And and sometimes the other day I listen, she 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 walked up. She walked up and and, and I'm like, "Okay, so I got to go. I got to go and I, and I put her down." And and so I I I started headed towards the door and here she comes. Here she comes. <laughs> and I'm like, I gotta go. I gotta go. You can't do this to me. What? Listen. When she just touches my legs and just goes like this, I'm telling you, I can't resist. When you have a, don't you understand? You have a God that loves you so much more than a, a a father or a grandfather does. You have a God that, when you lift up your heart, when you lift up your intercession, when you lift up your voice, when you lift up your hands and go, Father God, He's like, oh yeah. What is it you want, baby doll? I know you're not supposed to have candy, but let's go find some. Come on. <laughs> the Bible says in James 5, 16, confess your faults one to another, pray for one another that, your prayers may, that, you're, that you may be healed. And the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man, what? Availeth much. The word availeth means to, be, to have a force. And much is the word over and over and over again. In other words, the prayers of a righteous word, when you pray, there is a force that is now manifested into the earth from a spiritual dimension and even into the natural. And it just, it just keeps coming. It's like a wave. It just keeps coming and coming and coming and coming and coming and coming over and over. The prayers of a righteous man availeth much over and over and over. The power of God comes into the earth. Which leads us to number three, spiritual lessons of spiritual warfare. One man is all God needed. The future of Israel depended on on the obedience of Moses. What if Moses would say, you know what, God, I'm not going up there, I'm just staying right here. Joshua can figure it out. I'll just stay here. I'm going to drink some lemonade. I'm going to have some grapes, whatever. No, the whole nation depended on his obedience, and God responded to the prayers of Moses. Jonah, one man, went to Nineveh, turned it upside down. Paul would go from city to city, one man, turned it upside down. I'm telling you, God responds to one obedient person with passion, with prayer, crying out to God. Number four, God's given you authority. God's given you authority. What was it that Moses had? God said, Moses, I want you to take with you in your hand, a rod. Oh, what is this rod? It's funny when, from that point on, God would refer uh, to it as the rod of Moses. And whenever Moses was talking about, it, he referred to it as the rod of God. But it was the, really it was the, it was the very authority and the power of God that you have. God did not call us into this world to, to make, waves and make headway into the kingdom of darkness without giving us authority you have authority I think Moses may have realized it to a degree, but the rod when he went up there with that rod he he perhaps as he was walking up on that mountain to look down upon the valley and he looked at that rod from time to time it's the same rod he used a few months ago when he was up there in you know in in Pharaoh's house and throwing that thing and it turns into a snake it's this rod that he would stretch out over the red sea the, the dead um the, yeah, the Red Sea, it was, it was this rod that separated the waters. And listen, God wants you to know that when you are praying, you also are releasing the power and the authority of God into the earth. You're just not going up making noise in the, into the airways. You are lifting your heart. You're lifting your intercession with your rod in your hand, understanding you have power with your prayers. Come on, you got power with your prayers. You have authority with your prayers. And I, I can see Moses. I mean, you know, he's up there and he's praying. The Bible says it. But, but man, he, I mean, at first of all, he's like, woo, yes. And what's happening is he's as he's lifting his hands. The Israelite army, brand new, green behind the ears, uh, is just barely make, they're making headway and they're 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 advancing and they're literally seeing uh, things happening in front of them and Moses is like yes 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 this is awesome like field goal three points yes 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 but after about an hour or so he's like woo come on Joshua go guys come on God, go 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 a couple hours he's like I mean I. T- I gotta take a break, man. This is this is hard. And as he lift, lowers his hands, the Bible tells us that suddenly it began to change. The momentum shifted to the Amalekites, and they start pushing, you know, back onto. Joshua. If I'm Joshua, I'm looking up, going, "Hey," I'm like, I'm like the ball player, you know, from this looking at the stands, go, "Come on, come on!" And so Moses, is like, "Hi, hey. oh man." I got a chart horse, man. I got I got spasms. My, my blood's rushed to my feet. I don't have, I can't even feel my arms. And Aaron and her rush to the side and they pull this big old rock and they roll it over and they say, sit down, Mo. And Mo sat down. <laughs> and they took each one, took his hands, and they lifted up Moses is just like this, you know. He's like about to pass out, and they got his, they're holding his hands straight up, you know, like like a drunk man. You come up just like, yeah. They, but they got his hands. Can I just tell you point number five, God, God, everyone needs encouragement. Everybody needs someone beside them that's close enough, that knows what's going on, that can kind of see what you're going through and feel what you're going through. And, and got they have your back, and they got your arms. And, and when you can't pray, guess what? They'll pray for you. When you can't intercede, they'll intercede for you. When you can't uh, draw the strength, they'll draw the strength for you. Come on now. Mm. And can I just say, I mean, I've always been, I've always been this guy, you know, holding, this guy, holding the arms up for everybody. For the last several weeks, my wife and I, we've had the incredible, humbling honor to be able to be the Moses in the situation that Melissa's been walking through. And my goodness, I'm telling you, I, I now see the power of encouragement more than I've ever seen it before. The flowers, the gift baskets, the cards, the texts, the, the emails, the, the meals. The one person even stitched a blanket. I'm like, this is the most beautiful blanket I've ever seen in my life. And, and, and people have just gone out of their way and run errands. And, and, and I'm like, no, that's, we're good. We're good. No, you're not. Here's some more food. You know, I'm like, oh, <laughs> but no, we're really good. No, here's another pie. I'm like, oh, y'all. I can't take this love too much more. This is incredible. And really, though, we can say we've never felt the love of Christ through a people more than we have the last several weeks. And we just say thank you. Thank you so much for the love and the encouragement of lifting up our hands. You've been awesome. So this morning, you know, with uh, because I didn't turn my, because I, I haven't changed my watch, so i got lots of time. So... Um, <laughs> So so I want, I want you to get your notes. I want to talk about this word Jehovah, Jehovah Nisi, Jehovah Nisi, God is my banner. What? what? I mean, when's the last time you were talking to someone and someone says, look, you better watch out. I got a banner in my back pocket and it's going to, it's going to hurt you, you know, it's going to work. No, what is this banner? Well, a banner is a flag, but in the Old Testament, it's not necessarily a flag. It was more like a pole with an ornament, a shiny flashing ornament on the top that would glisten perhaps in the sun, and it would have different symbols on it, perhaps for different tribes represented, like the tribe of Judah, a lion's head, different things like that. But but it was a standard. It was a it was a it was a banner. It was a pole. Everyone understood, you know what that that was. It was a a flag. In our days, we would understand that as a a flag. But but even more than that, it was it was God saying to us, uh, "I I want you to know that I am going to be your banner. I'm going to be your flag. I'm going to be your standard. I I going to be that in your life that glistens." I'm going to be that in your life that that is conspicuous. I'm going to be that in your life that that people um, receive direction from. I'm going to be your banner. And so we see, number one, that this banner represents a cause. It's a cause. What do you mean by that? Well, you carried this banner into battle with you because it represented Your convictions. It represented your beliefs. That's why to this day we stand, we salute, you know, the flag. We we cover our heart, we honor the flag. We at you know, at a memorial service for a fallen soldier, we take the flag and we watch the soldiers so honorably and dignified in dignified manner just fold it so beautifully and then they kneel down, they hand it to the widow and your heart is moved over this because your spouse you know had lived for this cause and died with this cause in their life. The the, the banner is that inside of you that you will give your life for if that's what it takes. Come on. Everybody has got to believe in something or if you don't, you'll fall for anything. My question is, what is your banner that you wave in your life? What is the cause? What is the conviction? What is the belief that but, but this is the final, I will not bend off, off this matter. This is a conviction. This is a belief. This is a this is what I know about God. This is, I you can kill me if you want. You can take my breath, you can take my life, take everything you want. But I will not ever renege off of this because this is why I live. It's a, it represents a cause, a belief. In, 1812, the British had come back to America to try to take this thing over again that they had lost in the Revolutionary War. Some call it the Second Revolution. They went and they descended upon Washington D.C., burnt Washington D.C., the capital, and different buildings down to the ground. And then they got back on their ships. They went down the coast and went to Baltimore, and they anchored outside the. Fort McHenry there in the harbor of Baltimore there and they brought the full weight of the British Navy. Many, many, many ships with all of their cannon and artillery and they were about to disintegrate Fort McHenry. It was at that time that Francis Scott Key was sent by the revolutionaries to go aboard the flagship, the lead ship of the British, and try to negotiate for a treaty or a release of of, capt- of captives, of, uh, like a prisoner release exchange. And while he got on board, when he got on board, he began to ask the Admiral if they could work out a deal. And the Admiral said, we're not going to talk about that because... We got other things to do right now. We got your prisoners down here in the below the deck, but you just stand here and watch. We're getting ready to take that forward, and we're going to make it nothing but rubble. Um, And so you want you to sit here and watch this great display of British power. And uh, Francis Scott Key was in shock. He said, "What are you talking about?" He said, "We're going to level that piece of uh, that little." Fort, y'all got right over there, and uh, and Francis Scott Key said, "Well, what if what if they surrender? What what would be the sign that they were? Sur- How would you know if they would like were surrendering?" He goes, "We've already worked that out, and they have told me that I've told them. In fact, he said that if you want to surrender, all you have to do is lower your flag and take it down. If you lower your flag, then we'll stop." the bombardment upon your fort. And so Francis Scott Key says, oh my goodness. He goes, and the admiral said, let it begin. And for the next 24 hours, all of those ships together combined began to send missile after missile after bomb after missile after bomb after missile. And they all aimed at that flag. That was the center point. That was their, that was their direction and they all aimed at that and especially at that flag. And from time to time, Francis Scott Key would go down into the hold of the ship, the inner part where all the prisoners were, and he would go down to check on them. And they all would ask him the question, Francis, is the flag still there? Yes, the flag's, the flag's still there. We're praying, Francis, we're praying the flag still stays there. Oh, Francis, we pray that the flag doesn't come down. Oh, Francis, please, God's got to intervene. The flag must stay there. He would go back up, an hour and hours and hours go by. Boom, boom, boom. He would go back down. Y'all, okay, yes, but Francis, is the flag still there? Yes, the flag's still there. And finally, when the ceasing it ceased uh, and they stopped doing the bombardment. They stopped the artillery. They, 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 the, the sun came up uh, and they could see that the flag was still there. It was still there after hours and hours and hours of bombardment. Uh, and Francis Scott Key couldn't help himself but he sat down, even though he was a lawyer, but he wrote down a poem that we've now made our national anthem and he says, oh say does that star-spangled banner yet wave uh, Or the land Land of the free, the home of the brave. The fourth verse, you don't even know this one. He says, And this be our motto in God be our trust. Uh, and the star spangled banner in triumph we shall wave, or the land of the free and the home of the brave. And when finally all the smoke had cleared and finally the, the Navy had left they went and it came out of their holes and came out of, of their hidings and, and their shelters, and when they went up to the flagpole, the flagpole was leaning on its side, uh, and the flag was battered and tattered and charred and all ripped apart, uh, but it was still there, and they found around the flagpole bodies after bodies after bodies uh, of men who had died praising uh, and keeping the flagpole. It was literally being held up by some would believe by the dead bodies wrapped around it. Uh, People that would see the banner about to go down, they would see the flag about to drop, uh, and they would run out of their shelters. uh, Bombs and cannons and artillery everywhere. And they would stand there and they would hold uh, that flag up, knowing that they were the target of the enemy. But it was the cause, it was the belief, it was the value, it was the conviction that was more important than even their own breath, their own life, their their own family. They stood there until finally they lost their life. And it Begin to fall, another man would come out. Can I tell you if the person that would believe in the freedom of our nation would give their life to that degree? How much more should we lift up the banner? Jehovah Nisi is my banner. Oh. My God. One of America's greatest images World War II, 1945, February, Iwo Jima. Six soldiers, five marines, one navy corpsman. Have been assigned, along with thousands and thousands of other American soldiers, to take a little volcanic, uh, little volcanic island, 700 miles southeast of Japan. And they landed upon there. The whole goal was to capture this little island that was embedded by thousands, 22,000 Japanese. That had entrenched themselves into the dirt and ravines and little um, tunnels that they had built all around that island. You couldn't even see; no one even could see anybody. All they could see was just ravines and and tunnels and things like that. And and, and these Marines, uh, they landed there to in order to make a, a airstrip for. The fighters to be able to land on and the bombers to land on. And they gave the six thousand soldiers, climbed that mountain, Mount Serajuci, on that island, 550 feet high. And they climbed inch by inch, uh, giving their life, dying, giving their life, dying, going further, a little further, a little further. Until finally they took the mountain. Uh, they, 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 they put an end to the enemy. And what was the one thing that they do? What did they take pictures selfies? Hey, made it to the top. Everybody look at me. No, pull out the flag. Let's raise the flag because this is why we climbed the mountain. This is why we gave our life. We want the world to know we believe in freedom. We believe in the right to speak. We believe in these values that and we'll give our life. We will climb every mountain and we will put it in the ground. That's what we believe. That's what we believe. So when I talk about Jehovah. Jireh, my banner, I'm talking about a cause that I'm willing to die for. Number two, I'm talking about a banner that represents all that God is. He's love, he's peace, he's joy, he's righteousness, he's grace, he's mercy, he's hope. It's the cause, it's the reason I'm, for, it's the reason I'm forgiving you. Well, I want to rip your head off, but I want to forgive you because that's my belief, that's my cause, It's my banner. I'm going to show you generosity. I'm going to, I'm going to give to you. Why? Because it, he's given to me. Press down, shaken together, and over. I'm going to believe in a miracle for you because that's what I've been told I should do. That I could, if I had the faith of a mustard seed, I can speak to a mountain and tell it to go, it'll go. I, this is what I believe. I, I believe this. Number three, a banner represents the force of a nation. It represents the force of a nation. When when a ship is coming up over the horizon, you don't see the ship. The first thing you see is the flag that waves at the very top of the mast. And as it comes into your sight a little closer, you begin to see the sails and then eventually the ship itself. And what we see is if you can imagine yourself being, you know, under some kind of enemy fire, maybe you're a ship yourself, and, and you look for help, you got your binoculars, you're looking for some kind of help, and over the horizon you see a little flag, but not only just the flag, you see the sail, and then you see the boat. and. But guess what? You just don't see the boat. You see the second boat and the third boat and the fourth and the fifth and the sixth. And and suddenly you you realize, oh my goodness, the whole weight of the United States Navy is coming my way to help me in my cause. That's what a banner and a flag does. It represents the force, the entire force of a nation. Can I tell you that you have a banner and when you wave your banner, when you wave that in your heart, in your life, in your spirit, you remind yourself that you carry banner. God sees that banner. Can I just tell you that because you carry that banner, the entire force and weight of the heavenly dimensions comes at your side whenever you're in need. Whenever you call, you have it. They're coming. You may not see it right now, but hold on, baby. It's coming. It's just a few kilometers away. It's coming. Why? Because the entire force of the world, of God's world, comes and responds to a person that waves his banner. And number four, a banner is carried by the most loyal person. In the Civil War, every regiment had one man that had to carry, the asked to carry the flag. Every regiment was proud of their flag. And it represented, of course, you know, their confederate or their union, but <clears throat> it also represented their particular regiment. Some were banners of their state that they were from or their geographical location they were from. And everybody could identify, they knew their banner, their flag. And so when it came time to go into war, they they line everybody up and they go, okay, one of you guys is going to be the flag guy. Anybody, any volunteers for the flag guy? Now you have to understand that the flag guy is, the guy carrying the flag, number one, he's, He's on the front line going, leading the troops into battle. And number two, he don't have a weapon. He has to give his weapon off, and he gets a flag. Excuse me, you're asking me to carry this piece of cloth, and I can't defend myself. That's what we're saying. Any volunteers? Who would like to carry the flag? Well, it actually wasn't even that. Actually, they would find the most loyal courageous soldier in their regiment and they would pull him out and he would gladly carry the flag. And when they started beating the drums and they would go into the battle, there would be the whole line of soldiers and right there in the middle was the guy with the flag marching out. And the enemy would always set their sights on the guy carrying the flag. Because the greatest prize would be to get the flag. We even have a game today called Capture the Flag. The greatest prize the enemy could ever get would be to capture the enemy's flag. Dude, you got the flag. Whoa, poof, Head, fist bump, come on. Oh, you're awesome, you captured their flag. And to lose your flag would be the most shameful thing you could do as a soldier. So they picked the bravest, most loyal soldier in the ranks, and he would carry this flag out into battle. And there everyone's aiming at just this one guy. In South Car- the South Carol- Carolina um um, uh, they were called. What were they called? they were South Carolina something. They, they was a, they were a, a regiment. And in the in one of their fights, oh here it is, the South Carolina Palmetto Sharpshooters. They lost ten of the eleven flag carriers that they had. It changed hands four separate times, but never touched the ground. Four different men died carrying the flag, but another would pick it up right there. Flags were only carried by the most courageous, loyal people. Number five, or six, I don't even know where we're at. Five. It was carried by those with the revelation. The guy carrying the flag had to be there right beside the, by the, by the, by the uh, captain or general, or the officer given the directions. And he would say, flag, man, go over here, 500 yards over there. And, and so everyone would follow the flag guy. The the flag carrier, the, the banner carrier, the color guard. They they followed him to wherever he's and wherever he posted, wherever he stood, that's where they would stand, that's where they would rally to, that's where they would go to. And how could he do that? He could only do that if he knew the heartbeat of his commanding officer. When you, are a, when you carry the banner of God in your life, what that means is you know what God's desires are. You know you're hearing his whispers. You're hearing his desires. You're, your heart, you're like John. You're, your head is resting on his chest. You, you're hearing his heartbeat. You know what he's saying, and you're following his direction, following his orders. That's, that's the power of, of carrying the flag, being a flag carrier. A banner was carried by those with revelation. Moves us to number six. We have a worship team come. A worship team come. Number six, a banner must always be advancing. Matthew 16, 18, I say unto thee, thou art Peter, upon this rock I'll build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The, the gates of hell are not these demonic gates that are attacking God's kingdom. You you don't wake up in the morning and go, whoa, I I feel like I got attacked by a gate last night. It was a hellish gate, just a hellish gate. No, gates don't move. Gates are stationary. They stay where they're, what this is saying? is saying, Peter, I'm telling you, you're going to be one of these guys that 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 that, that, that kind of helps organize the church and, and, and with Jesus and the help of Jesus on this rock of Jesus, the we're, the church is going to literally going to, going to it's going to attack the gates of darkness and, and the gates won't even be able to hold the kingdom of God. We are a force to be reckoned with. The banner must always be advancing. And so that's why you chose a brave guy to carry the flag because everyone followed the flag. The last thing you want is to go into battle, y'all, walking along in the battle. Bulls start flying. Guns are going off. Cannons are going off. And you look over and you see the flag going backwards. The guy's running for his life. Well, you all follow the flag. Next thing you know, everybody's retreating. Why? Because everybody knows they follow the guy with the flag. So you always pick the guy that is faithful and who is brave and who is courageous. And even if he's got three or four or five bullet wounds in his body, he's still advancing against the enemy because that's what you do when you have a cause. That's what you do when you have a conviction. That's what you do. When you carry the banner of the Lord your God and, and so so this is a person, this is a people, a banner is a person and a people that are always advancing in the kingdom of God. And lastly, number seven, banners are evidence of God's faithfulness. Hmm. So after every battle, they would pull the flag and they would pull it together and and they would write down and stitch. With a needle, the the name of the battle that they just fought. Antietam, eighteen sixty-three, or whatever. And and after several battles, you've got this soiled, tattered, war-torn piece of fabric. And it's got stitching all over it. This battle, battle bull run. Battle of Antietam, Battle of Gettysburg you've got all these battles that this flag has seen and all you can say is wow we made it through all that March 8th 2020 stitched in it I thought I was going down but I didn't and look where I'm at now and look what God has done February 16th, 2019. July 2nd, 2002. You got all these victory marks. It's a scrapbook. It becomes a scrapbook of God's faithfulness. God will be faithful. One battle at a time. God will be faithful. Can you bow your heads with me this morning? Perhaps somebody here today, you don't really understand what I'm talking about, this relationship with a God, with a Father, with Jehovah Nisi. We could actually have a God like this, a relationship with God where he cares about all these things. Yes, yes, he does. This morning I would invite you into that relationship. I would invite you into that knowledge of a great, great God. So if you're here this morning, you would say, Pastor J.P., I want to know God as you shared. I want to have a personal relationship, not not just an idea, not just a religious thing. I just I want to know God that way. I want to pray with you right where you're at. So right where you're at, would you say, that's me, Pastor JB? I want to know Jesus. My Lord and Savior, would you just raise your hand real high? Let me see that hand. I want to know Jesus as my Lord, as my Savior. I'm not going to embarrass him by, and I'm not going to call you out just right here. I want to know him as my Lord and my Savior. Amen. Amen. Awesome. Thank you, Jesus. Can we all stand to our feet this morning? Thank you, Lord. So here's what Jesus said. He said, if I be lifted up from the earth, I'll do what? I'll draw all men unto me. If I be lifted up, God said to the Israelites five weeks into their journey if you're going to know something you better know this I'm going to fight your battles I'm going to fight your battles you don't have to fight I'll fight you'll fight but I'm going to do I'm going to do all the heavy lifting I'm a God that fights your battles I am Jehovah Nisi I am your banner And if you will just lift up me, then I'll do all the heavy lifting for you. There's stuff going on in your life. There's situations going on around you, and you need to lift up the banner. You've forgotten, I think, that you are in a spiritual battle. Listen, this stuff that you see and we deal with all the time on a daily basis... This isn't. This is. This is not the real deal. It's a. The spiritual dimension is much bigger and greater than this natural realm that we live in. We lift up the banner, the cause, the standard, the belief in the Lord our God. We lift up our hands of intercession, our hearts of intercession, our prayers unto the Lord, and it becomes our victory. Amen. If there's a situation going on in your life, like I know there is in mine, I'm just going to ask you to lift up your hands to the Lord. We're just going to have a prayer this morning, just a corporate prayer. And prayer teams, you can make your way forward to as well. Father God, this morning, we lift up our hands of intercession to you as Moses. And we ask you, Lord God, to come and do something miraculous in the valley below. In the name of Jesus, we stand on the summit and we declare that you are faithful, you are good, and you are God. And we believe, Lord God, with all of our heart that you are a way maker that you are a miracle worker, and that you're going to work things out and do things uh, supernaturally as only you can do. So we declare it, Lord God, with our hearts. We declare it with our mouth. uh, We declare it with our spirit. uh, And we declare in the face of all the circumstances, you are our way maker. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message. Be sure to visit us online at summitchurch.tv or follow us on Facebook and Instagram at summitchurch.tv.